praise God. How many of you are ready to hear from the word of God this morning? Anyone? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's all right to be excited in church. It's all right to be happy in church. It's all, ready. It's all right just to kind of, you know, have a smile on our face because we serve a good God, right? Let me try that again. It's all right to be excited and joyful and happy in church because we serve a good God. Amen. Hallelujah. And, and my heart is that you understand that more and more and more and more that the goodness of God, the greatness of God, his love for you would be so alive and real in your hearts that it would be something that, that guides your life in the difficult moments, in the, in the troublesome times, in the people that are irritants to our flesh, no matter what it is, the goodness of God and the love of God causes us to overcome and to persevere in all of those stages of life. And that's part of the reason that we're doing this series that we're calling Risky Love. And um, I'm not trying to be provocative necessarily in the title, but I do want you to think just a little bit because... I think that there's a lot of different ideas and attitudes when it comes to love, when it comes to talking about the God kind of love, the kind of love that God loves us with. And it is so important for us to understand, as a, really to build the foundation around how much God loves you. And I know that that is a message that we hear often, that God loves the world, that God loves us, and that's it's the church, and it's Jesus, and love, 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 love. And, and we're tempted to let the eyes roll back just a little bit like, yeah, right, I heard that before. But then never do anything about it. And the reason that I'm saying this, and this is a quick little recap from last week. The reason that I say that to you, that, that risky love, love is not risky because of a lot of other issues around us. Love is risky because it carries the weight of responsibility. Love is risky because it carries with it God kind of love, Christian kind of love, Bible kind of love is risky because it carries a weight of responsibility. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 11, we read this as a question last week when John wrote it down. He wasn't necessarily writing a question. He was kind of summarizing several statements that he had been making, but he, but he made this statement. He said, beloved, if God so loved us. Now, I know that's not a question, but I think it is a question for a lot of people. If God loves us, does God really love me? Does God really, really, really love me? Or is he kind of just put up with me? Is he just because he's God and all-powerful and he just sort of loves me and that it's all good kind of a thing? And the reason that we maybe don't ask that question, we might nod our head in agreement because in our head we understand that God loves, but, but it's not something that we've really fully experienced to its depth and its height and its length and its breadth. And we ask the question, God, do you really love me? Because we equate the God kind of love with our kind of love. Our kind of love is, 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 is a cheap counterfeit to the God kind of love, the love, the natural human love that we, and you could take the purest love, a love of a parent to their newborn baby, whatever it might be, you could take that love and it still fails in comparison to the love that God has for you and me. And a lot of times we, <clears throat> because of the way we use the word love, as I, as I mentioned last week, you know, uh, by the way, how many of you enjoyed your pizza last week? Yes. How many of you were like, what pizza? Okay. <laughs> uh, you see, we use, the word, we use the word love in so many different ways. I love pizza. I love basketball. I love coffee in the morning. I love my grandma. Honey, I love you. I'm going to spend the rest of my life with you. And hopefully we understand that there's different kinds of love, that pizza love is different than the rest of your life kind of love. But a lot of times, because we overuse that word so often, it has become kind of, kind of weakened in our understanding. And sometimes love asks the question, are, are they worth it? And I know none of you would ask that question. But do I want to spend the time and the energy to, look, to maybe overlook or to look past or to forgive? 
kind of what's in it for me. Sometimes love asks the question, am I worth it? Maybe if I quit this, then I'll be worth somebody else's love. Maybe if I, if I look like Instagram models look, then maybe I would be worthy of somebody's love. Or maybe if I, I lost a little bit of weight, had more hair, whatever it might be, if I had a different car. We, we put all kinds of parameters on whether or not we are going to receive love. And we end up asking the question, beloved, if God so loved us. And I want to answer for you as unequivocally as I possibly can. And it's the part of this message that I want you to hear more than anything else. God loves you. He is head over heels in love with you. We know John 3, 16, that God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, when there wasn't anything in it for God, when there wasn't anything in us that was worthy of his love, he loved us. When we were at our most unlovely, love went first and he loved us. And so John, when he says, beloved, if God so loved us, and here's the risky part of what love is. Beloved, if God so loved us, the next part says, we also ought to love one another. And the church said, yes, amen, that's right. Heard that before. Heard that one before. But that's the risky part of love. That's the unknown part of love. That's the hard part of love. Because again, we want to ask the question, are they worth it? Have they measured up? Have they done enough to merit and to receive God's love? Now, how many of you know you're children of God? If you're a child of God and the way you become a child of God is you are born into the family of God. Jesus said, you must be born again if you're going to see the kingdom of heaven. You need to be refathered from above. You need, to have a, you need to have a family change. You become a child of God. And in John chapter 1 and verse 12, we read these words. It says this in John 1, 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those, to those who believed in his name. How did you become a child of God? You believed. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You weren't you know, because of your parents or your grandparents, it's not because you went to the right church or did right things or good things. You became a child of God simply by faith, simply by believing. And when you became a child of God, he gave the right to become children of God. It was your believing that gave you the right and the privilege to become a child of God. And so you and I, we are sons and we are daughters of the Most High God. I like to say it like this, you and I are a chip off the old block. When my mom used to yell at me and be mad at me, you were just like your father. That was never a compliment. <laughs> I wanted, I should have said, you know, I'm so much like my father because my mother is a lot like his wife. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I wouldn't have seen her for three days, but the swelling would have went down a little bit and I could have, by the fourth day, I could have seen her. But anyway. <laughs> My daughter said that to me one time. Our oldest daughter, I was giving her a hard time. And, she, and I said, man, you are so much like your mother. And she said, had I not married a man that was so much like my father, I probably wouldn't be. <laughs> I was like, that is good. That is quick. <laughs> that is quick. <laughs> exactly. To all who received him, to them, he gave the right, the authority, the privilege to be called children of God. And you need to know this. One. Part of what we like to teach and talk about a lot is that you have certain rights and certain privileges as a child of God, as a member of the family of God. You have peace that passes all understanding. That's what the Bible says belongs to his children. You have the joy of the Lord. It's the fruit of the spirit on the inside. The joy of the Lord is your strength. 
Philippians says that, you can, that, that God, my God, will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Those are things that belong to you because you're a child of God. You have rights and you have privileges. And do we not like our rights and our privileges? Bless God. It's my right. We need to be that way when it comes to the family of God. We need to be that way when it comes to being sons and daughters of the Most High God. I was thinking, uh, as I was thinking about that, the idea that love is risky because it carries a weight of responsibility. How many of you ever looked at a mom holding a little baby, and that baby's sound asleep or maybe eating from a bottle? And you look at that little baby, and how many of you ever thought, boy, would I like to do that again? I don't remember anything, but wouldn't it be kind of nice to just, you know, not hold the baby, to be the baby? I mean, that's what I meant. It's like, you know, babies, they, they just, I mean, they just, eh. What's wrong? What's wrong? What do you need? What do you, do you need some food? Do you, want, you need some sleep? you need a diaper change? Whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome. But how many, how many of you have realized that after a little while, a, a, a little kid goes, yeah, that doesn't, 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 have this, doesn't carry the same weight? Because eventually, you expect that child to begin to fend for themselves. You begin to, accept, you begin to expect that child to accept some of, some of the responsibility of self-care. And parents, just a little FYI, you are called to parent your children, not manage your children. There is the, we'll let that one sink in just a little bit. I know it's tough. But we're not just managing them, just trying to keep them occupied to keep them out of trouble. We are to steward the life of that little one. We are to steward their life and, and, and to make sure that they understand that there are rights, that there are privileges, that there are responsibilities, that there is accountability. And we understand, or at least we should understand, that as a child grows and as, as we as, as, as children began to grow, that, that parents would recognize that that child would begin to mature when they would accept responsibility. And likewise, there were consequences when their words and their actions didn't line up. In other words, Johnny, go clean your room. And four days later, the room has not yet been cleaned. Their words, Johnny said, I'm going to get after it. I'll do it. I'll make sure it's done. And it's still not done. Their words and their actions didn't line up. And so the hallmark of responsibility, I'm sorry, the hallmark of maturity is when you accept responsibility. And a lot of times as kids grow up, they become a little bit older, they become a teenager. Talking to a teenager this morning, I said, are you driving yet? Pretty soon, I'm going to be driving. I don't know if you remember what that transition was like. I remember when I was a teenager, I could not wait to get the keys to the car. I was shocked when I got my license and I presented it to my parents and I said, now I can drive. And they said, what are you going to drive? <laughs> Are you going to go buy one? What? What? All my other friends got to drive their parents' car. Now, I grew up in the day when it was a privilege to drive your parents' car. I parented in the day when my kids did not expect to drive the parents' car. They expected a new car. I remember telling our oldest daughter, she's like, uh, you know, handed her the keys to the car I was driving, a 1978 Oldsmobile. It was a boat. Beautiful, plush, red interior. <clears throat> nice car. She said, I'm not driving that. I want something different. What? What? What do you mean you want something different? If anybody's going to drive a new car, it's not going to be you. It's going to be me. <laughs> I love my daughter. I kept driving that 1978 Oldsmobile, and she got something else. <laughs> 
It's actually pretty fun. But anyway, my point is simply this. A, a, a child is, when they become teenagers particularly, they're, they're managing for and wanting authority. They want authority. But as a parent, often we recognize they're not ready yet to handle the responsibility that comes with the authority. Maturity is when you are able to match <laughs> the responsibility along with the authority. A lot of people think that, well, when I grow up and when I get older, I said it like this, age doesn't mature us, age makes us older. It is accepting responsibility that matures us. Now, if we understand that concept, we should understand what it means to be a child of God. Because Jesus at one point in his ministry said, behold, I give you the keys of the kingdom. And keys represent two things. Keys represent authority, first of all. Whether it's the keys to a car, whether it's the keys to this building, it's the keys to your house. It represents that you have authority now by virtue of that key. You have authority to drive or to get in and out of this building or your home or whatever it is. You've got authority because you've got the key. But the key also has something else that is very, very important and it's called responsibility. While you have the right of authority that the key gives you, you also have a responsibility. If it was the key to this building, you have the responsibility to make sure alarms are set and doors are locked before you go. If it is the key to your car, it is the authority to drive wherever it is that you want to drive, but there's also the responsibility to put gas in that car, pay for insurance, to drive safely and do all of the other things. And when our words and our actions line up, when our rights and our responsibilities line up, we come to this place of maturity. And so the reason I'm saying to you this morning that love is risky is because love carries responsibility. There is rights and privileges that you have as a child of God, but there's also some things that you have to grow into, that you have to accept as your responsibility. Now let me give you an illustration from Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, <clears throat> that was my warming up part. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43, Jesus describes the kind of love that we've been sort of talking about. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now you say, well, I don't hate anybody. We can argue about that. But Jesus was saying basically up until this point, this is how you operated in love. This is how you walked. This is how you lived. You loved the lovers. You liked the likers. And you hated the haters. And that was common practice. That was accepted. And that's not unlike what it is today. We like those who like us. We hate those who hate us. We disagree and all those other things. They're all kind of lumped into a basket. And Jesus said this about this kind of love. He said in verse 46, For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Apparently, there's something that carries a reward. And he says, if you're going to love like they love, there's not going to be a reward. There is no reward with that. He says, do not even the tax collectors do the same. I call this tax collector love. You know, the tax collectors were their own category of evil. There was the drunkards and the prostitutes and the tax collectors. And they were always singled out. Jesus said, if you love those that love you, you're no better than a tax collector. And if you greet your brothers only, what do you more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. If our love is limited to those that love us, if our love and our greeting and our blessing and our goodness is limited to those that are good to us, then our love really isn't anything special. And there's a responsibility that comes with receiving the love of God. 
Jesus changed us. And this is the thing. You need to know there's an alternative to the natural human kind of love. Jesus said in verse 44, but I say to you, you've heard it was this way, but this is what I'm telling you. Love your enemies. Yes, amen. Heard that one before. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those that hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and to persecute you that you may be, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Let me just pause there because some people interpret this to mean that that God is the one who is sending rain, that God is the one who sends these different things that are destructive. Sun and rain are things that make things grow. And God loves you so much, he's sending the sun and the rain to help you grow. But not only is he sending it on the just, he's also sending rain and sun on the unjust. God loves the sinner so much that he wants them to grow into and to experience something that is different than what they've experienced or are experiencing from anywhere else. And so once again, that you may be sons of your father. In heaven, for he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. Notice this, therefore you shall be perfect. Now this does not mean that you will be perfect and you will never make a mistake. What this means is that the word perfect means to mature. It means to grow up. If you love, the, if you love your enemies, bless those who curse you, you're acting like your heavenly, you are a chip off the, you're acting just like your father. Only this is good. And he says, by doing so, you grow up. You're accepting responsibility. You're, there's, a, there's a willingness to step beyond those that love you and those that bless you and, and to extend that love to somebody else who maybe not be so deserving because that's what God did for us. And again, and so he says again, therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. You will be perfect just like your Father in heaven is perfect. Let me give you one more scripture. We're going to do a little bit of a deep dive here for a second. Galatians 5, 6 says this, circumcision and uncircumcision aren't worth anything. In the, in the book of Galatians, Paul is, is, is addressing some real issues with the church of Galatia. The church of Galatia were, were, were formed by a bunch of non-Jewish people. Paul had gone to the region of Galatia, preached the gospel, miracles happened, people received Jesus, they were filled with the spirit, revival was breaking out, it was all kind of awesome stuff. And then some Jews from Jerusalem came, and, and, and basically they tried to institute the law. And they tried to tell people that, that if you, you know, it's great that you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, but now you've got to quit eating pork. And, and, and you've got you've to observe the Sabbath day. Told the guys, like, man, you've got to be circumcised. And they're like, wait, what? <laughs> and the wife was like, come on, honey, this is good. It's like, you're just giving up Bacon. I mean, this is, this is total surrender and commitment for me here kind of a thing. Because the religious Jews, they were saying, you've got to do all these things in order to be good enough for God. And so, again, he says, circumcision and uncircumcision aren't worth anything to which all the guys at Galatians went, Whew. And others were like, dang it, I wish I'd heard that before. <laughs> Sorry. I'm having some fun. All right. Aren't worth, <laughs> circumcision and uncircumcision are not worth anything to those who believe in Christ Jesus. How did you become a family in the family of God, a member of, of the family of God? You believed. 
didn't, you weren't circumcised. You didn't stop eating certain things. You didn't start observing certain days. You got there by faith, and that's what Paul is writing right here uh, to the church at Galatia. And then he says this, the only thing that really counts, here's what it is. This is the only thing that really counts. It is faith that shows itself, how? Through love. Faith, faith shows itself through love. Let me just say it like this. I thought I would go this direction, but I'm not going to go this direction. But, but I guess I am going to go for just a moment this direction. You can hear about love and you can talk about love, but if you're waiting for a feeling to love, then you are waiting too long. We sang a song this morning. A lot of you are excited about it. I'm not going to live by what I see. I'm not going to live by what I feel. That applies directly to walking in love. Because if my love walk was based on what I see, there are people that I'm not really going to care to love. And if, particularly if my love walk is based on what I feel, there are going to be people I'm not going to want to love because I just don't, I'm just not feeling it right now. I'm just not feeling it right now. I just don't feel it. I don't feel like I did before. I'm waiting for the warm, fuzzy, goosebump feeling. That's not faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. You have to believe that there's an alternative to natural human love. And you have to believe that that alternative to natural human love, God is love. And God has made his home in us. And if God is love and love never fails, then love has made its home in us. Romans 5.5 5 says that the love of God is shed abroad where? In our heart. By the Holy Spirit. Not shed abroad in our head, not shed, ab shed abroad in our feelings, not shed abroad in anything else. It is in our heart. It is already in us. Galatians says that the fruit of the Spirit is love. And so when Paul was writing this to the church at Galatia, faith that works by love, faith that is lived out through love. Actually, a lot of translations say faith works by love. That word works is the Greek word energeo. Energized. We get the word energized from it. Faith is energized by love. My faith is energized. My faith becomes active by love. But, but, but let me just maybe put a little bit of a twist on this this morning. My faith is energized by love. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 18. We read this last week. I just want to hit a highlight. Paul was praying. He said, I want you to comprehend. This is why this is so important. My faith is energized by love. What does that mean? Paul prayed that you would be able to comprehend or understand with all the saints what is the width and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Why? So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he says in verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works. There's that word works, energized. According to the power that is energized in us. God being able to do all things according, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that is energized in us. It's like having a, a vehicle turning the key and that key engages the power of that vehicle. Likewise, what Paul is saying, it is by understanding and, uh, and knowing, the word know means to experience, something that, that, that is beyond knowledge, beyond knowing, it is the height, the length, the depth, and the breadth of the love of God. And when you experience and understand and know the length, depth, height, and breadth of the love of God, you're going to be filled with the fullness of God. Not, you can pray 
You can have other people pray. You can go to seminars. You can do all kinds of things and never be really filled with the fullness of God until you understand how much God loves you. And you will never be able to understand the depth of the love of God or the height or the breadth of the love of God because it passes knowledge. But the more convinced that you are, you see, we sometimes put ourselves in the wrong position in, in, in this whole thing, particularly in this when Paul said, Dear, that, that faith is energized by love. We think that faith is energized by our love or that faith is energized by our ability to love, and, 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 and certainly there's a certain portion of that. But your faith becomes energized when you understand how much God loves you. And that many times lurking in the background, many times lurking a little bit behind the scenes is shame or guilt or all the wrong, all the things that the enemy wants to remind us that we are not good enough, that we, that, that, yeah, we maybe ask Jesus to forgive us, but there's some other things that are hanging out there. And until you change this, until you start doing this, until you clean this up, until you do that, God's not really, really going to love you, but he does. In fact, God couldn't love you any more than he already does. There's not one thing that you can ever do to make God love you more because he already loves you with everything that he is because he is love. So quit trying. I say quit trying. Quit trying and open up your heart. Quit putting up all kinds of barriers between you and God. Quit letting the enemy lie to you. Quit letting people lie to you. Quit putting up those barriers. Let those barriers down and let God love you. Put that barrier down and let God love you because he does. Quit trying. Quit asking, am I worth it? Because you are. You see, our faith is energized when we realize how much we are loved by God, that God's love is unconditional. It is not based on our performance. His love for us is constant. When our faith seems lacking, we need to immerse ourselves in the love of God. The more that we understand it, the more we think it, the more we believe it and we thank God for it, the more alive it becomes on the inside of us. I want to read this from Romans chapter 8, fairly lengthy. This is from the Passion Translation. Some of this is familiar perhaps to some of you, but a little bit different light on it this morning. Romans 8.31 says this, so what does this all mean? You might be asking that same question. What the heck are you trying to tell me this morning? So what does this all mean? If God has determined to stand with us, tell me who then can ever stand against us. And Paul had spent seven chapters of the book of Romans telling us why God was standing for us, why God was on our side. And now he's like, so what's this mean? If God's for us, who in the world is ever going to be against us? For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. Oh, this is so good. Since God freely offered him up as the sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. If I didn't have more notes, I'd just stop right there. But Paul wasn't done. Verse 33. Who then would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen to, in love to be his? God himself is the judge who has issued his final verdict over them. Are you ready for the final verdict that's over you and over me? Not guilty. <laughs> Not guilty. I, I might ooh, you might have missed a thing or two. <laughs> no. What can wash away my sin? It's the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. God himself is the judge who has issued his final verdict over them. Not guilty. 
Who then is left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the, the anointed one or the Christ, for he gave his life for us. And even more than that, he has conquered death and is now risen, exalted, and enthroned by God at his right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us since he is continually praying for our triumph? Verse 35, who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love towards us. Troubles, pressures, problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions, deprivations, dangers, and death threats? No, they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love. They are powerless. Everything in this life is powerless to hinder heaven's love coming to you. Even though it's written, all day long we face death threats for your sake, God. We are considered, by everyone else, we are considered, if I do what God wants me to do and I walk in love and, I, and I'm generous with my time and my treasure and my talent and I do those things, people are going to think that everybody's taking advantage of me. It looks like I'm weak. It looks like I'm a lamb to the slaughter. That's what people think. We're considered to be nothing more than sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, yet even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all. For God has made us to be more than conquerors. And his demonstrated love is our glorious victory. It is his love. It is his demonstrated love that is our glorious victory. I love that so much. Our glorious victor, victory over everything. So, now I live with the confidence... I live with the confidence there, there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death, over life's troubles, over fallen angels, our dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or our future circumstances that can weaken his love. There's no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. Whew. Did you kind of start to catch that? God kind of thinks you're okay. But not because of you, because of Jesus. <laughs> so what's this all mean for you and me? What do we do with this? Yeah, that's good. Praise God. Hallelujah. Uh, okay, you've kind of convinced me that maybe God likes me. How much do we want to grow up? How much do we want to be recognized as a chip off the old block? How much do we want to do what Jesus said? If you do these things, then you're going to be like your Father in heaven. You're going to be perfect or mature. Matthew 5.44 says this, but I say to you, Jesus was talking to people who were following him. Jesus was talking to a crowd of people that were around him. He said, this is what I want to tell you. You've heard some other things, but this is what I'm saying to you right now. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who despitefully, or despitefully use you and persecute you. Do you realize that next week we're going to start a series on prayer, calling it continuously and uh, leading up to our prayer of agreement Sunday on March 21st. March 21st. And uh, we're praying with everybody that wants to be prayed with and for. But um, <clears throat> this, Matthew 5.44, this is the first reference in the New Testament to prayer. This is the first reference to prayer. 
And of all the things that we teach and think and pray and all the other things that we think about prayer, often this idea that we are to pray for those who spitefully use us and persecute us is not the first thing on our prayer list. And yet, this is the first reference to prayer in the New Testament, alerting us to something that we need to figure out and to understand just a little bit. You know, I, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, as we are a family church teaching people to reach their world, and, and I have determined over the last year that, that more than anything, I want to make sure that we are equipping you to reach your world. It's where we started as a church 30 years ago. That you hear something on Sunday that affects your Monday, that affects your Tuesday, that affects your walk, and affects other people around you. So what do we do with this message? What do we do with this? You know, Acts 5 and, and, and 8 says that, that Philip went to the city of Samaria, he preached Christ. And there was something in the message and the way that the people responded to it that the entire city was filled with joy. That's my heart. That's what I want to have happen. So what do we do with this? How, how do we respond to this great love wherewith we have been loved with, and yet there's the responsibility to love one another? And I want to take a swing at something. Maybe we'll talk about it in more detail uh, somewhere down the road. But, but let me just give you a quick acronym, because the Bible says we're to love, we're to bless, we're to do good, and we are to pray. And that word bless, just a quick, ac quick acronym, because we're going into a series of prayer, on prayer. Bless, the B. If you're going to be a blessing, if you are going to be a blessing in the world that you go into, then it's going to begin with prayer. You're going to have to pray. You're going to have to have a listening ear to your heavenly Father. You're going to hear what he have to hear what he might say to you. You are going to have to pray for your neighbors. You're going to have to pray for those who maybe are persecuting you, those that are a pain in your backside. You're going to have to pray. It begins with prayer. And after as you are praying, you're going to need to learn to listen. Certainly listen to God. I shared something a couple of years ago that we call the three knots. Here's what you need to listen for. You need to hear as people are talking, as you're, as you're engaged with your family, friends, neighbors, whatever it might be. You need to listen for the three knots. The first knot is something that would indicate that something's not going well. Man, I, you know, I just... Man, just, man, I tell you, the wife, man, she's just a pain. It's just not going well. My job, I don't know, it's just not going well. It's not what I thought that it was going to be. When you hear that not, that, that is something for you to pay attention to. Because that's going to alert you to an area that perhaps you can help somebody in. So somebody, sometimes I would say, it's, just, it's not going well. Or, or <laughs> sometimes it's a new parent. Man, I was not prepared for this. Listen for that. I'm, I, I wasn't prepared for what that was going to mean. When, when somebody... Is, is telling you a story, telling you something like that. Don't, don't, you know, you have that opportunity then to step in and say, you know what, man, I know exactly what you're going through because I went through something just like it. And here's, here's what helped me. And sometimes people are going to say, man, I haven't been in church in years. And we don't speak that for condemnation. We don't listen for that for condemnation. But, but that gives you an opportunity to say, you know, I, I, I hear you. But maybe you should come and, and, and try something a little bit different. So begins with prayer. You need to have a listening ear. E, something I love to do, it's eat. What does that mean, Pastor Ryan? That means you're going to do life with somebody. You're going to intentionally, I don't mean necessarily go out to eat or that's certainly something you can do, but you're intentionally going to spend time so that you can listen, so that you can understand, so that you can know and also be known. And as you are 
doing life with them, this next one, the S is serve. Serve. Some way for you to be able to share, to minister, to, to care, it's going to bubble up. It's going to percolate. You know, I, I grew up in a time when, when this, is, this was soul winning. This was evangelism. They were going to canvas a neighborhood. Somebody come to the door. Hi, my name is Brian. Do you know if you died today, where would you go? <laughs> door closed. Go to the next one. Hi, my name is Brian. If you were to die today, do you know where you'd go? Get the blank out of here. I mean, all the different things. That was not real effective. Because basically the idea of evangelism and soul winning in that day was you need to convince people they're sinners. Guess what people don't really want to hear? (laughs) They don't really want to hear how much of a sinner they are because they got a spouse that's already telling them. They got kids that are doing this. They got a boss that's doing that. You have to earn the right. By praying, by listening, by engaging or eating. And eventually a way to serve is going to percolate to the top. And, and, and by serving, then you're going to be able to share your story. You're going to be able to tell somebody what it means to be a follower of Christ. Listen to this scripture, Matthew chapter 5. This is from the message. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out, I love this, the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now, I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, so shine, keep open house, Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you will prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. By you being generous, you're going to prompt others to be generous. By you letting your light shine, people will begin to see something. King James, New King James Version says, Let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works. Your good works. They'll glorify the Father in heaven. They'll see what you're doing and they will connect the dots back to God being the source and the reason why you're doing what you're doing. We have received, have we not, such a great love, such a rich love, such a powerful love. We really have. (laughs) Would you just bow your heads for a moment? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. (laughs) Are you in that right key? I've tasted and seen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Go ahead.
church. over us your love from above hey. oh taste and see taste and see there's nothing that's worth more with your heads bowed and with your eyes closed if you've never said yes to Jesus you've never entered into the family of God and you want to today by faith in Christ it's a simple simple prayer with your heads bowed and eyes closed you say pastor I, I'm ready to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Would you pray for me? Would you just hold your hand up just for a moment? Anyone at all? Praise God. Just hold your hand up and we'll pray together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, how glorious your love. How glorious your love. Oh, sweet and pure flowing from your throne yeah there's something calling there's something yearning me to come home home to your love home to your peace home to your grace home to you home to your love oh, we receive we receive your great love receive your love oh let us become let us become would you stand with me make this your closing prayer let us become more aware of his presence let us become more aware of that pastor Steph let's sing that you love us. And I thank you that that love is rooted on the inside and I pray that you would help us to grow in that love. 
not so we can experience, not just so we can know, but so that that experiential love that we've received from you in us will flow to others. I thank you, Father, that as we follow you, as we worship you, as we spend time in your presence, that that love from above crowns our head and flows through our feet and causes us to walk in a way in every city street so that we can be disciples of and livers of and givers of your love. And that, Father, people would connect our goodness and connect our serving and connect our listening ears back to you your glory and your goodness and that ultimately you would get the gift, that ultimately you would get the praise, that ultimately you would get the honor and the glory because the root of that love is found in you. And when people receive that love, they will find you and receive that love for them. And Father, we believe in the name of Jesus that we as a church, (laughs) that we as a church are going to be great joy to this city, that Father, it is the revelation of Christ and how much he loves us that will motivate and inspire others to to live and walk in that same love. And we thank you for that in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said...